Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a good football show. I'm your host today, Pat Corain. With me is Denny Carter and Kyle Dvorak. Guys, how's it going? Not too bad. It's uh, it's good to still have a Pat in control of the uh, of the pod. I think that that's uh, in all our all of our contracts. A Pat has to host a Pat or a Matt. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very clear here. A Pat or a Matt. It has to it has to rhyme. You're right. You're right. I forgot about that clause. Yeah, it's called the Dr. Seuss Clause. It's actually in a lot of contracts. It's like a weird old-timey English like uh, law thing. We it's could pretty also, common. We could also have an actual cat hosting at some point, <laughs> if you read closely enough. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, with if we if we switch to Zoom, we'll we'll get the the Zoom cat guy. Okay. Be... Oh God! Yeah, that thing uh, that guy haunted my nightmares for most of the uh, pandemic. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Well, on this episode, we're going to be going through uh, our guys that we can't leave drafts without. We've each got two guys here. Before we get into that, though, I wanted to just... Talk to you guys a little bit about kind of the overall strategy that you have with like your players. Denny, how much are you trying to kind of load up on guys that you feel like you have an edge on Mm -hmm. versus trying to spread out your exposures a little bit so your season's not 
so dependent on on a small group of players? That's a good question, and it's something it, that it, the the more best ball drafts I do, um, you know, the more they pile up, the more I, I ask myself if this player gets hurt in training camp, uh, is my best ball season over? And and I think if you're asking that, it does it it should be a, a warning sign. Of course, you should be keeping track of of how much exposure you have to these players if you're if you're actually doing high volume drafting, but. Um, you know, if you're asking that question, then I, you know, you might want to pump the brakes a little bit on, on hammering the same players every single time. And I, I think it actually goes back to something, uh, Pat, that you talked about in, uh, your piece the other day, uh, which is, you know, it, if you believe you've identified an edge in drafting, in this case, best ball drafting, uh, it, you know, it's important not to get fixated on specific players, but rather, uh, the archetype player that you're talking about. So if, if like you were talking about uh, rookies, uh, r- rookie wide receivers, you know, so I'm, I'm trying not to get a hundred percent exposure to Jamar chase. Um, I, I have significant exposure, but it's, it's uh, you know, you, you do have to kind of s- spread it out a little bit and it, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it, it's human nature to want your guys. Like, you know, when, when you, when you see, uh, something that you believe is it to your advantage, you want to go all in on that, and I get it. But if you're if you're drafting a lot, you need to be careful. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm disappointed you said that because that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> so I think that is that is like the most important aspect of having my players is that like sure, I obviously like we'll talk about players today that I think like this guy is is vastly undervalued by the market. But those things are so fungible, not only just by being like straight up wrong, just like I, I think Clyde Edwards Lair is a great value or whatever. He could actually just be a bad player. But the fact that like there is a dead zone of running backs is something that has happened for like seven or eight years, like as far back as we have like good fantasy right. data to look at. Those are the edges we really want to push. Like I care to have like projections that have a player ranked ahead of consensus i will try and get that player but my entire like roi for any given year is not going to be based on like the success or failure of lavisca chanel it's going to be based on using the broad over like overarching structural advantages to build like a good portfolio of players and yeah so there will be some players i want to get and do get way more of than uh, than the field does but that's not where I think my biggest edges are coming. I think that is like a small way to modify your portfolio. But, you know, using the the rookie wide receivers that Pat wrote about as an example, there isn't one rookie receiver that I'm just dying to have. Like, I love Jamar Chase, but he's expensive. I don't mm. love Devonta Smith's team in terms of how much they're going to throw, but he's got a good target share, or at least he should have a good target share. Like, they all have things to like about them. The biggest thing is that we know rookie wide receivers can provide, like, a better ROI. So, yeah, I'm going to get overexposed, maybe even, like, 40% of some players but that's not necessarily because I am so dead set confident on them. It's just because it fits within the constructs of the, the overarching like beliefs I have on how to play fantasy football, not just about players, but about the game itself. And at the end of the day, we're trying to win the game. I love picking the right players. Like I love winning money and beating other people at best ball more than I really care to have like a Jersey of a player tattooed on my back. <laughs> that's, funny. Yeah, that's a great point about kind of going overweight on the structural advantages where we have better data one thing that I struggle with was with kind of like player exposures that it's so hindsight uh, biased, you know, that you you're like, if you happen to have gone too hard on Jalen Rager last year at the expense of Justin Jefferson, you're like, I've got to spread out my exposures this year a little bit more. But if you were on the Jefferson side of that coin, you're mm-hmm. like, Hey, I just, I just smashed by having conviction on a specific player. 
And that's kind of my path to doing well in fantasy again. So neither is probably entirely true. You, you do want to try to find those player edges and have a higher exposure to those players. But at the same time, you have to keep the structural edges in mind and, and not waste those away by just getting like overly enthusiastic about particular players. I would say that, uh, you know, it, it comes down to the difference between structural drafting and it, the targeting individual players, um, uh, player centric uh, drafting. And uh, I would say that, you know, someone who looks back at 2020 and says, well, I got a lot of Justin Jefferson and he went crazy and I won a bunch of leagues. And that's great. And that works out. I, I, I do think that that's kind of a short term way of thinking about fantasy success. Uh, it, it worked and that's awesome, but it is definitely results uh, oriented rather than process oriented. And, uh, you know, a process is sometimes is cold comfort. Um, but I, I believe, you know, as you guys do, if, if you have an OK process, it's going to work out in, in the long run. Yeah, we just overestimate our ability to pick players, frankly. Like, I love a lot of players. Like, we're on this show, and we are about to talk about, like, two <laughs> players that I am going to have way more than I should, like, a filthy mm-hmm. amount of the players we will talk about. But we still, I probably even do it, too, just overestimate our ability to pick players. But we can't really, if you're looking at the data, overestimate, like, the the RB dead zone, the optimal number of receivers versus running backs and where you should, you, you should be drafting your first receiver, how many quarterbacks you should be have. Those just have such a wealth of data behind them. We don't have a lot of data on any individual player. We had no data going into last year on Jalen Rieger at the NFL level. We had a lot of college data, but that's noisy. Players individually are noisy. Strategies aren't. So it's just we need to kind of focus on the things we can predict. And like year in, year out, like running backs in rounds three through seven, they're not going to be great. Whereas like one individual in any circumstance, like last year, I broke I broke my fade the dead zone because James Conner was just going to smash. Like I was uh-huh. sure, man, uh-huh. all the volume was there. Pittsburgh's offense is going to rebound like crazy. It was just going to be a wild party. And, uh, you know, I, I broke the the strategy that we knew worked because I had a strong conviction on a player and obviously it didn't work out. That's right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about kind of keeping the structural edge over the player specific uh, edges. But to be clear, we are correct about these six players. These guys <laughs> are going to smash. Uh, <laughs> let's let's get into it here. Uh, Kyle, who's your first guy that you can't leave a draft without? Yeah, so I, I think the whole Bucks offense for me is going to be one that I just continue targeting. Like, I think we have this conception that they're like vastly different than they were two years ago in the like cowboy gunsling Jameis Winston era, but they still led the league in air yards thrown this year. And Tom Brady had a, an over 600 yard gap between his air yards and the third most air yards of any quarterback thrown. Like he completely changed the way he played in the past three or four years by joining his his still incredible arm with incredible receivers and a Bruce Arians offense that actually prioritizes like high efficiency downfield targets. So for me, the whole Bucks offense is for the most part targets. I just think it's going to be an offense that puts up points, especially through the air, but you can even extend that to teams that put up points tend to have running backs that score a lot of touchdowns. So you could maybe argue for a Ronald Jones. Maybe someone else we'll talk about later in the show. But for me, it's Chris Godwin. FFPC ADP has him going below Mike Evans. I think you can have them ranked either way. I have no problem if you have Godwin over Evans. Godwin is typically going to be a more efficient guy. He was more efficient last year on a yards per route run basis. But both him and Evans were, I believe, top 40. I believe uh, Godwin was like top 25. They're both efficient players. I just think the one that's cheaper is always the guy I'm going to be targeting. With someone like God, when you sacrifice a, a decent amount in terms of like air yards, maybe a little bit in terms uh, of red zone targets, but you make up for that in like yards after the catch and efficiency. So for me, if Godwin goes significantly below Mike Evans, I'm just 
always scooping him up there. And it's not even to say I don't have a decent amount of Mike Evans. I have a lot of this Tampa Bay offense. I just think whenever one, you know, like we saw it, what, two years ago, the the Chris Godwin breakout was just everyone knew it was coming. His price got driven up, and it still was never enough. And I believe he outscored Mike Evans on a points-per-game basis, and Mike Evans missed the final game or two of the year, as did Chris Godwin, actually, because that was the Brashad Perriman breakout, right. if anyone remembers that. Right. I remember. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take whoever is the most affordable of these two in this offense. And any draft that Mike Evans falls, I'm in on him, too. Right now, though, that player for me is Chris Godwin. Um, I guess the the question I would have here with Godwin and, and Godwin's ADP is reasonable. You know, I, I don't I don't think anybody would argue otherwise. Uh, are you uh, concerned at all about Antonio Brown being in that offense for a full season? Uh, I mean, it's I would say it's not uh, ideal, but for the most part, I do believe that receivers have an ability to make their own volume that running backs just don't. Like when there's a running back committee, a team is generally only going to run the ball so much. You get 50% of the the running back carries they're allotted. It is a somewhat finite pie, whereas having another talented receiver in the mix is just going to boost the amount of play. Like every drive is going to be more efficient. It's going to add... Mm -hmm. one play two plays to any individual drive if Antonio Brown is that good and last year there was a pretty defined I mean we have a very small sample of this last year because like Evans missed mo like half a week 17 I uh, don't did he even play week 18 that first playoff game if, if so he was banged up totally and banged then up. And Chris Godwin, I believe, had like what was like a dislocated finger or something late in the season. And obviously, Antonio Brown didn't join until halfway through the season. So the samples are small. But when you look at the target distribution, it was clearly Mike Evans, Chris Godwin just behind him, and then Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's ADOT also, I mean, you have to find a way to mix him in somewhere. Maybe he's the underneath guy, but he wasn't racking up a ton of air yards either. It was clearly a 1A, 1B, and then Antonio Brown as the two, or I guess three, if that's how you'd count it. So mm -hmm. not really because he doesn't play this massive role. Like, if anything, like the fact that Mike Evans is there is the, the reason I wouldn't go all in on Chris Godwin, because I'm not sure if we'll get 1,600 yards. That might That's probably not in his range of outcomes. Antonio Brown isn't really a, a massive concern for me, maybe a little bit, but at his price, it, it seems to be more than baked in. Do you think you'll have the same conviction on Godwin once we get into kind of more managed draft season um because he does strike me a little bit as as a kind of hashtag better and best ball type of guy like when we were in dfs last year you're trying to figure out who to stack with brady you know it's tough he, he spreads the ball around the targets weren't predictable week to week so i think for you know for me drafting godwin i'm more likely to draft him now get my exposure in best ball as opposed to when i have to you know put him in my lineup every single week no i'm not like i i i I don't really actually subscribe to the better and best ball theory that much. Like so much of, of like spike weeks just come from volume. Like guys who get the ball more are going to be more volatile because they have a ceiling. Like, you know, you know, who's really consistent, a guy who gets two or few targets every single week, like man, Henry Ruggs was so consistent last year. Like he had one, <laughs> one good game or two, maybe for the most part, man, you could count on him never scoring more than five points. So I just have a general belief in the data kind of backs this. The more volume you get, you will be more volatile because you have access to a type of ceiling that like bad players or players don't get the ball a lot. Uh, don't just don't have, they hang around five points and that's uh that's classic consistency, even if it's not actually a good form of consistency. So sure. He will be more volatile. Maybe I have a, a very marginal, like a, a tiebreaker towards a player on a Godwin team, like, you know, seventh round, I'm looking at someone to draft someone more consistent. Sure. Maybe I give them a slight tiebreaker to pad the floor of my, of my weekly roster. But really I, I think if you just combined a roster of all ceiling players, you will generally get a mix. Like the, the average looks the same if you're all ceiling players. So 
No, maybe I have a slight lean towards floor players if I take Godwin, but even then, I really wouldn't worry about it too much. That makes sense. Denny, who's your first guy that you're not leaving drafts without? I refuse to leave a draft without... We're going to stick with the Bucks offense uh, without Gio Bernard. And uh, it's for it's for several reasons. And I know, look, I know this is an attack on, on Pat uh, and his uh, Ronald Jones. Well, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Um, I actually well, don't yeah. think it is either. <laughs> well, then, good, good, because I didn't want to create any bad blood here. Um, you know, I, I looked back because uh, I, I really, really wanted to make a convincing case here for Gio Bernard, but uh, I went. I, I looked back to see when Bruce Arians started complaining about running back drops, um, and it actually started before, in the eighties. Before the, <laughs> yes, it was 1978. Uh, no, um, uh, it was uh, at the 2020 combine. <laughs> I, I swear, he said. Um, you know, he said uh, you you can see them all run. He's talking about the running backs at the combine. Uh, I want to see them catch. In college football, they don't do a lot of pass blocking, so that's always a big step for them. Can they can they be a receiver? For me, I'm looking for that type of guy. And of course, they went on to uh, draft Keyshawn Vaughn, who was a, a spectacular disaster uh, in in 2020. Um, getting into the Bucks running back drops last year, uh, he dropped three of nine targets. Three three of nine for context. Uh, Mike Davis had three drops on 67 targets, just, just for context. Uh, Fournette, of course, Leonard Fournette dropped uh, five of his 46 targets. Ronald Jones dropped five of his 41. Um, y- you, can, you can find reports throughout the 2020 season where uh, coaches, including Arians, are saying it's unacceptable. This, the, these running back drops are unacceptable. And what do they do? You know, they go out and they sign a pass catching specialist in Gio Bernard, uh, who in, in Cincinnati uh, averaged almost five targets per game when Joe Mixon was not playing during his time uh, with the Bengals. When he was playing, that dropped to around four. So the, obviously that there, we, would, we would see that kind of, uh, kind of drop-off. Um, but he's there to fill a role that uh, they you know, didn't have, or, or at least Bruce Arians didn't think that they had, which is the most important thing here. Uh, and then we all know Tom Brady's, uh, I told you this would be com- comprehensive, Tom Brady's uh, a history of, of you know, targeting running backs. So Brady completed more than 100 passes to running backs in each of his three seasons before coming to Tampa Bay. Uh, most recently uh, in, t- in New England in 2019, James White had an 18% target share and running backs in total had a 24% target share in that Patriots offense. You know, you can go back through the years, but, you know, you go back all the way to 2015, which the Zoomers won't remember. I'm sorry, Kyle. Um, uh, and you see Deion Lewis and James White combined for a, a nearly 17% target share uh, for Brady's Patriots. I, I think that he has a pretty clear-cut role, and I, I really like his uh, chances of being consistent this year. Yeah, one thing that's interesting about Bernard is that, you know, he was cut by the Bengals, but they saved $4.1 million by cutting him and they had asked him to take a pay cut, which he did not. So it's not like he was like so washed up and they just had to get rid of him. They didn't want to pay him the money, but you know, he was actually pretty decent last year, running back 12 in yards per outrun. You know, you, you mentioned the coaches talking about the drops. I watched a fair amount of these games, you know, pretty closely because, because of my Ronald Jones love. And there was a, a clip of Brady at one point. I think it was after a Fournette drop, but it could have been after a Jones drop. And he was just like, get me a running back who can catch. <laughs> he was so pissed. So 
I think, you know, having the guy who can, who can catch here in Gio Bernard, uh, he could have a really big role. And the reason I don't think this is an attack on Ronald mm-hmm. Jones, Ronald Jones didn't play any passing down snaps last year. I mean, and that, that was true in 2019 as well. They just, they were playing Dario Gumbawale in 2019 on every hurry up snap on every third down snap. And that usage continued this year. So Jones is no threat to Giovanni Bernard's uh, passing down role whatsoever. Those third down snaps are really going to be between him and Fournette. And I agree with you. I think Gio has the edge there. Yeah, I mean, there was even a report. I mean, I have it pulled up. The Athletics' Greg Omn reports the Bucks signed running back Giovanni Bernard because the team's running back struggle with drops. And then we go on to say that they had the highest drop percentage in the league over twice that of, of the league average. Like, this was... We think like Leonard Fournette gets credit as being a pass catching back, but I think he just was the pass catching back completely by default. Like he was literally just better than maybe the league's worst pass catching back, unfortunately, in Ronald Jones. That's not a high bar to clear. That, that was an attack. hey if it makes you feel any better ronald jones averaged more ppr points per target than derrick henry did per rush attempt because that's how important receptions are i love that stat because ronald jones was so bad at catching passes i'm so sorry he's he's just not good at that he's good at many other he's he's good at many other things that is just not one of them which is why i think there's some (laughs) Some semblance of uh, of optimism for Giovanni Bernard. Do we think he just completely pushes uh, Leonard? Like Leonard Fournette is just also like Ronald Jones, essentially just a first and second down guy. I think so. I mean, I I think it, it's a huge ding to. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be a ding. It would be more than a ding to to Fournette's uh, fantasy usefulness. Uh, I I was in a, a best ball draft recently where Leonard Fournette dropped to the twelfth round. Just to, I, I and I think that that's reflective of this new reality where he's he's not going to see much passing down action unless there's uh, an injury to Gio Bernard. Um, I, I find myself drafting Bernard and other pass catching backs late in best ball drafts because uh, if I'm doing, you know, the anchor RB or whatever we're, we're, we're calling it, it's not, it's, it's not clear about what we're calling it right now, but um, then, then I, I need, I need some, I need some sort of, you know, running back production uh, to, to, to keep me afloat um, besides that, that top running back I might have. So uh, he just, he just sort of becomes a no brainer. He's, he's someone who I, I really, I do need to pump the brakes on a little bit because I, I don't, I don't want my whole best fall season to go down the, the drain <laughs> if something happens to Bernard. I think this backfield kind of reverts to 2019 where you've got Gio in the Dare Gumba Wiley role and you've got Leonard Fournette in the Peyton Barber role. And mm-hmm. You know, Fournette and Ronald Jones will get some targets on first and second down. So they'll get some screen, running back screen targets and that type of stuff. But that kind of, I mean, Arians has a name for that. He calls it his nickelback, you know, oh and, and it's, that's what he calls it. <laughs> and so that's going to be your hurry up running back, your two minute uh, drill running back, and your, your third down and kind of clear passing down situation running back. And I, I think that Giovanni Bernard will, will play the vast majority of snaps in that role. So I don't think I want my entire portfolio tied to him as well, but I, I definitely like him as a target. I'm going to jump into my first guy here, uh, Antonio Gibson in an actually good running back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the hype is building here on Gibson uh, a little bit. We just had a blurb today that, you know, he's looking night and day uh, uh, better from last year. And, you know, I think for good reason, right? Because this guy came in, we weren't even sure, 
what kind of player he was going to be at the NFL. It's converted wide receiver. Mm -hmm. And he immediately takes on this big two down role, kind of a classic running back. That was a lot to put on his plate to be, you know, a guy who really didn't have many touches at all in college to become a workhorse two down running back is very impressive to me. And I think it helps explain why he didn't see so much in terms of the receiving role, especially when you look at his pass blocking snaps last year, uh, he saw 47 less pass blocking snaps than JD McKissick. JD McKissick's 5'10, 194. Antonio Gibson is 6'2, 220. You know, I don't think this is about their, their sort of ceiling as a pass blocker. I think <laughs> it's about the ability for Gibson to take on this two down roll, learn all of that, and then also learn how to pass block at an NFL level. I think they basically are bringing him along slow there. He had 20 total pass blocking snaps last year. That was good for running back 78. So they just didn't use him in that role. And that, that limited his ability to rack up receptions. And that's why we saw JD McKissick have that huge role last year. I think that's going to change. We saw this change with Christian McCaffrey after his first year with, under the same coaching staff. Uh, he handled 41 pass blocking snaps as a rookie. He seeded 35 pass blocking snaps as a rookie to Jonathan Stewart. Uh, losing 141 passing snaps to Jonathan Stewart. And then the following year, McCaffrey led the league in both pass blocking snaps with 99 pass blocking um, uh, uh, passing snaps overall. He led the league as well, 621. And then he also led all running backs in receiving fantasy points. I'm not saying that, you know, Gibson's going to be the next uh, Christian McCaffrey exactly, but I do think he has paths to 20 plus points per game, that true elite running back ceiling because he can take what he did last year with a two-down roll, which, by the way, he doesn't have any threat to. I mean, Peyton Barber is no threat to that two-down roll. J.D. McKissick is no threat to his two-down workload. He's got uh, upside for good touchdown production with an improving offense, a defense that should be good. And then on top of that, he can stack a true three-down roll as he learns how to pass block at an NFL level with the full offseason under his belt. I think the only thing you know, that's concerning a little bit is this toe injury that people have have brought up and he's you know he's talked about how he's kind of managing that the Washington beat writers say he looks completely different than when he did last late last season when he actually was struggling through that toe injury I think this is a kind of a, a chimera epidural type of type of red flag rather than like a real reason not to draft him <laughs> mm -hmm. it you know if, if he's managing this toe injury in June good like I don't want him to you know be be forcing it and and re-injure the toe and, and him have to deal with this throughout the season I think he's on track to be fully healthy for the year and to be a three down workhorse in Washington. And he really does have the potential to be a true league winner. It's uh, especially impressive. His, his transition to like a traditional running back role, seeing that he barely played running back uh, in, in college, you know, and, and that, that was always the question, like people who were very skeptical of Gibson and there, and there was some reason to be skeptical. I mean, not, not his profile, his athletic profile was, was phenomenal and, and no one could question that, but that transition to running back to like a real running back was in question. And people said, no, it's not going to happen. It, it happened. It happened like right away. And in a, in a complicated, you know, pain in the ass COVID off season. Which is which is I think is is, is doubly impressive. Uh, you know, beat writers and coaches. I think Ron Ron Rivera himself said he wants to get Gibson more involved in the passing game. That probably doesn't mean the McKissick goes away completely. 
Um, but you, you know, you add uh, another 25 or 30 targets to, to Gibson's totals from last year. And uh, he becomes, he begins to look really, really appealing at ADP. Yeah. Just to hammer home. Like the thing we were concerned about was like, Oh, he's going to be like, there was a real chance he would be a gadget player like that. Coaches yeah. just make like, despite him being incredibly athletic, like he's got full running back size. I believe runs uh four, three, eight 40. Like he is, massively athletic but there was always the concern that he would be used as a nickelback as some call it some call it a webback a satellite back a third down back uh, so yeah. there was definitely a concern that he would be some sort of like a, a guy we just can't figure out how not we we know how to use him but a guy who his coaches can't figure out how to use him he answered that he's a great running back and there's no doubt in my mind that literally playing wide receiver in college means he's going to be a good pass catching back in the NFL. So I think at this point, it's just a matter of if or of when, not if he becomes this three down back. And if his offense is good enough to really support him as like a top three running back. Like, I think we know that top five, top 10 running back is easily within his range of outcomes, just based on volume. The question is like, can he get to RB one overall? And if that's a question for you at his price, like, perfect. That's what we need to know is like, can you hit that absolute ceiling? Just even having that in the range of outcomes. That's why you draft guys going in, you know, that mid second, third, same with like a Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I think is in that similar mold where sure. There are guys who may project for like a similar median, like Chris Carson could see close to as many touches as some of these guys. Chris Carson's just never getting a top three, top five season. It just ain't happening for a guy like him. So I will pay that premium. I'll jump into the second round and take, I think Gibson and Clyde Slayer are like the two candidates to vault into like top three status this year. And Daigle did text me that he wants to get a side bet down on CEH versus Gibson. So you can look forward to that debate once, uh, once Daigle's back. All right. I have to say, Pat, that, that was historical comp on McCaffrey really is incredibly interesting to me because we're talking about the same coaching staff, basically. Um, and uh, you know, I guess maybe some fantasy managers have forgotten, uh, what CMC was as, as rookie wasn't the CMC of today. So, uh, you know, that that's, wow, that I'm, I am shaken right now. The fact that I, (laughs) (laughs) the fact that I need to go immediately into a best ball draft and draft Antonio Gibson. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, my whole philosophy with running backs, right? Like if he, if he just is that two down running back that he was last year at his current cost, it's probably a little bit of a hit. Like that's not enough. Uh, It's, it's enough for the other running backs in that range, but you're it's huge opportunity cost to to pass on wide receivers in that range. But he has that where it probably won't be totally catastrophic. If he ends up just being kind of a two down running back, Uh, you'll be able to survive not taking the wide receiver there. And then, he has the upside to be like next year's 102. I mean, he really I, does have that kind yeah. of upside, I think. That's what I'm looking for in drafting, not totally catastrophic. That's my, <laughs> my standard. That does seem to be your philosophy, I have to say. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, let's get into uh, Kyle. Who's your second guy here? Second guy is Trey Lance. I think this is an interesting one because, uh, like, on Underdog, his, his price has already just gone through the moon. I, I still think there's an argument to take him where he's going in, in Underdog drafts, but you've already kind of you've lost out in the closing line value of this bet, essentially. But like we were we were looking at FFPC ADP. This is like this can't be right. They have him as the this is a 20, 21st quarterback. Come on, like like Baker May like he's going to run as many times as Baker Mayfield is going to throw like that is just we're going to get such an explosive season from Trey Lance whenever it comes if it doesn't come till week 10 it's a losing proposition like without a doubt like you are definitely playing the gamble of I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is just bland enough and and they won't be so unstoppable that if like Garoppolo comes out at seven and oh we're probably not seeing much of Trey Lance at at the point where it matters in your fantasy season but if they come out in like three and two like it is we're going to see Trey Lance because you don't trade as much as they did to get your quarterback of the future to sit him for almost at all. Like we've seen this time and time and time again, where like, like Blake Bortles was not an NFL ready quarterback probably. I think wasn't it Blaine Gabbert that started all like two or three games ahead of him. Like there are far less quarterback prospects, lesser of quarterback prospects who are vaulted into their starting role almost immediately. Every coach says that they want to keep their top five pick on the bench learning. And it is so rare that it actually happens. And we know from Trey Lance's profile, like I think it was, uh, it wasn't, he didn't combine tests, but there were hand times that he ran like a four or five at his size. He is like, that puts him like at real athletic running back category and he's a quarterback. So if you just look at someone like Lamar Jackson last year, who we were like universally disappointed in, he was still a top 10 fantasy quarterback, despite throwing fewer passes as a team, at least because I think he did miss that one game. The Ravens threw fewer passes than any team since 2013, I believe it was the Seahawks that year. Like they were a 1950s style of offense. And we think that is not at all conducive. It's only conducive to good fantasy scoring when your quarterback is just also an RB1. And I really think given Trey Lance's profile, given how unique the Kyle Shanahan like running attack is, that is very much in his range of outcomes to be a low volume Lamar Jackson type quarterback. And at 17, I'm fine waiting three or four games of taking zeros. I'll have someone else. I'll be streaming or I'll just take another, you know, Kirk Cousins or whoever, whatever mediocre quarterback. I'll look at the matchups for the first two weeks. Whoever gets to play some easy matchups, I'll take them, play them for a game or two, because we know that even with like, league bottom volume if you are as good of a rusher as kyler murray as lamar jackson you can get to top 10 status just so easily like scoring like fantasy scoring is just not invented to handle rushing quarterbacks that well it's just a truth of our game being somewhat hacked by the konami code mm-hmm. if we get even a semblance uh, of you know lamar jackson something even more like kyler murray who's very similar as a runner in terms of just his raw stats yeah he's going to be a top 10 quarterback as soon as he starts his first game I'm betting on that start coming within, let's say, the first four weeks. If it happens after that, it's probably a losing bet. So you're saying that if you draft Trey Lance, you have to be uh, rooting hard against the 49ers for for the for the season's first month, right? I mean, yeah, just a few games, just a few games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm a little skeptical that they'll they'll pull the plug on Garoppolo that quickly. The the argument you have, obviously, that they they traded up, they traded so much to get. Uh, Trey Lance, that that holds a lot of weight. 
um, even in even in the short term. Obviously, it does in the long term, but in the short term, it certainly does. Uh, I, I I wanted to get your guys' opinion on on you know Kyle talked about how much Trey Lance could 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 rush could run uh, if and when he gets the starting job for San Francisco. What does that do? How does that make you approach uh, Brandon Ayuk and and George Kittle specifically? Well, that was one of the questions I that I had for Kyle. Like, how many guys are you comfortable stacking with Lance? Because I think that. Kittle and Ayuk and Samuel can all pay off, but it's tough for me to see them all paying off together. Yeah, for me, this is like uh, sort of like the the math of DFS when you look at it from a weekly's perspective. Like you were hard pressed to find one correct guy to stack Lamar Jackson with last year, and Lamar Jackson also still threw, I believe, like six percent touchdown rate. It's well above league average. He was a good touchdown thrower when you look at the whole of last year, and it's just not enough when you're throwing at that low volume. So I do think these Russian quarterbacks, like especially in well designed offenses are going to have probably slightly inflated touchdown rates because it's really hard to defend them. And there is also probably, I mean, significantly better weapons, honestly, in San Francisco than Lamar Jackson has ever played with. So I think we can expect some amount of, of efficiency, but it's going to come down to can he throw uh, like touchdowns at the rate that Lamar Jackson did last year, not even his breakout year. But for that reason, yeah, I would probably say like I, I'd really max out at one guy unless you like, there, it'd be different if there was like a really deep third option. Like if I was like, oh man, I just got to get me some Kendrick Bourne or whatever. I was like, like Jalen Hurd. If you really love Jalen Hurd, like you can you can take two guys because Hurd costs nothing. He catches two touchdowns in the air and he probably has a pods of best ball win rate. But outside of that, I really think for me, I, I'd probably unless I was just getting like straight up values, they just fell randomly in drafts. I'd probably only take one of his pass catchers straight up, not even one receiver, one of Kittle, IU, Debo Samuel. I think I'd be okay taking two because it is so condensed to your point about there not being a third guy. Um, in particular, I think Ayuk, like he can probably do more stuff downfield and get there kind of on touchdowns and efficiency. Samuel concerns me a little bit more because he's getting so much stuff around the line of scrimmage where you could see some of that being phased out if they have, um, you know, Lance running a lot. But I, I like the pick a lot. I think he's interesting both in best ball where I like paying – pairing him with like a, a Dak Prescott or a Russell Wilson, or just kind of a, a truly elite running back where you go with one other quarterback and that quarterback maybe doesn't need to start right away. He can come in, you know, six, seven weeks. And that's not necessarily losing bet. If you've got an elite quarterback, you're comfortable being in the lineup every single week. And then Lance is there to help you close out the year. And in these best ball tournaments potentially take you over the top. And I also like him as a, as a high stakes target as we're getting, you know, kind of into high stakes season here where you can pair him with another late round quarterback that's going to start right away. Like a, a Tua is a perfect guy to pair with him for me or, or fields. Like if you go to a fields to a Lance and you're, you're saying, I'm just going to hold this guy on the back end of my bench uh, for, you know, three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Tua's got a little bit of upside too. Maybe he develops into a, a, a bit more of a high volume guy, a bit more of an aggressive passer. And then you've got sort of two outs to elite quarterback play. I, um, I don't care like how <laughs> Trey, the, the threat of Trey Lance uh, makes me go completely out on, on George Kittle. I don't care how good George Kittle mm. is uh, at, in the second round, the threat of that, of that 49ers offense becoming the Ravens um, for the, for the high, high cost of George Kittle. No way. There's just no way. I mean, he's going to make, he's going to make the, the plays that he always does which are tremendous and, and great highlights. 
I, but I, I don't want any part of him at that ADP right now, but just because of the, uh, of the chance of the good chance, like Kyle has, has argued here that Trey Lance is going to come in and play significant uh, time this year. All right, Denny, you're out on the best tight end in the entire NFL. Are there any tight ends that you are interested in? <laughs> I am. Uh, I actually found a better one than George Kittle. Uh, it's <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's uh, his name is Blake Jarwin. Of course, uh, yeah, yeah. You may have heard of him. Um, he played exactly six snaps last year before uh, blowing out his ACL <laughs> against the Rams on opening night. It was a sad moment for everyone who thought that they had a. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a solid late round tight end. Uh, nevertheless, we're we're going back to Jarwin. He's had you know he's had he's had all year to uh, to recover from that ACL injury. Uh, according to all beat reports that I've seen, he should be ready to go 100 for training camp. Uh, I guess that's something we should definitely keep an eye on. But uh, Dak Prescott uh, really does not hate his tight ends. I'll, I'll, I'll say that in 2019 we saw Dak Prescott target tight ends primarily. For some reason, uh, Jason Witten on 21.5% of his attempts. You go back to uh, 2017, and Witten was somehow second on the team in targets uh, with an 18% target share behind only Des Bryant. Um, you know, last year, Dalton Schultz had great usage. And, and, and this, again, I, I talked about process being cold comfort. Well, you know, tight end route running can be the, the coldest, the, the most frozen comfort possible. Uh, and, and I know, I know Pat knows all about that, uh, as, as, as someone who keeps track, you know, keeps really close track of, of uh, route running, uh, Dalton Schultz was, was third overall in tight end route running only behind Travis Kelsey and, and Logan Thomas. Um, he was, um, second in targets behind Amari Cooper during Dak Prescott's four full games. Second, what, how did that happen? It, but it happened. Uh, you know, they weren't, they weren't exactly like, you know, high value targets, but you, you can't complain too much where Blake Jarwin is going. Uh, of course the argument will be too, there are too many mouths to feed. This is, a, this is something you're going to hear over and over again with, with, with anybody, even if you're talking about Michael Gallup, too many mouths to feed. I'm not, I'm not taking out, but you have to factor in ADP, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, where you can get these guys. You don't have to spend a, a mid round pick and you will not have to at any point this summer on Blake Jarwin. He's a late round flyer like Gio Bernard. And I don't see Bernard's ADP rising too drastically uh, unless you're in a league full of people who hate terrible running backs like me. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I do find myself targeting Jarwin over uh, some other late round uh, tight end targets um, who are also, you know, not good, but uh, you know, attached getting, getting, a player who's attached to a potentially high powered offense like Dallas, I think it's something you, it's hard to pass up late in drafts. Are you at all concerned that he does not appear to be in attendance uh, for tight end university, the tight end, the professional tight end camp run by I believe George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. And that not only is he not in attendance, but he's missing out in favor of the likes of Eli Wolf, I believe uh, a Ravens player, Caden Smith of the Giants, Mercedes Lewis, uh, CJ Uzoma, Colby Parkinson. I mean, these are some real basement dweller tight ends. You better hope that he declined the invite saying, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I don't really need to, to muck it up with the likes of Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, because if he did not get extended the invite, it's a pretty, uh, pretty rousing indictment of him. We have to adjust the ranks, I think, is is what you're saying. We have to look into whether 
I'll have my interns look into whether, you know, he was offered an invitation. That, that is something. This is going to sound like a bit. It is not. Uh, Patrick Darty did text me when I told him that you'd selected Blake Jarwin and he says you're fired. <laughs> it's it's not not a bit again yeah i i spend all my time by the way uh doing uh paperwork for being hired <laughs> fired and rehired by nbc so the thing that i'm wondering with uh with blake jarwin and dalton schultz is like what happens to dalton schultz now that you know blake jarwin's healthy because with you know you, you mentioned too many mouths to feed but like michael gallup amari cooper and CeeDee Lamb are all going to be on the field. So I wouldn't expect this team to be running a lot of 12 personnel. So most most sets are going to have just one tight end. Mm-hmm. Are they going to rotate that tight end? Because I could see this looking kind of like Houston, where you had like Darren Fells and Jordan Akins, and you you don't really kind of know who's going to catch the touchdown that week, and that's being kind of what drives value. Or you do you think Jarwin can put enough distance between himself and Schultz? Yeah, I guess that's kind of the the assumption I'm making. And it's it's probably a big assumption to say that Dylan Schultz is not going to be a thing at all. I mean, neither Schultz nor Jarwin, you know, jump off the page as like someone who you can't uh you know have on the field, you know, and 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 maybe they will have a, a rotational role that that would obviously uh destroy uh both of their fantasy usefulness. Um I, I guess the assumption is that Jarwin w- if Jarwin is truly back from that injury, um, he will have the primary pass catching role. If that's, if that's not clear by August, like if in training camp, whatever, if, if it's, if it's clear that they're splitting or if Schultz has, has an edge, I'm fine shifting to Schultz, you know, like uh, I, at that point, um, I think whoever gets the primary pass catching role as, as a tight end in this offense, you know, will have fantasy usefulness probably as more, as more than a streamer in 12 team leagues. Yeah, I do think that kind of makes sense, Jarwin, as like a specifically managed league player, because he does not, he will not cost you that dead roster spot if you have the ability to cut him. You can see within two weeks if he's running all the routes, if he's playing 80% of the snaps, even if he is still fourth or fifth behind the running back in terms of the target pecking order, we saw how prolific the offense can be. That is still fine and that's still worth rostering. If he's playing half the snaps, you can just cut him. So I think there's a decent chance he ends up as just like a straight up zero. He's not ready. Like he's not fully healed mm-hmm. in time or they liked what they saw from Dalton Schultz. I don't think he's bad. Like you said, he definitely doesn't jump off the page, but you'll know within like legitimately two weeks if he's a guy you can cut as opposed to like, like I know there's like a, a big leap. Like Cam Akers last year mm-hmm. was so hard to roster because you were like, I know at some point Cam Akers is going to annihilate the faces of my opponents and you had to wait like nine weeks for him to unseat malcolm brown which is so frustrating you will know if you have a dead roster spot within two weeks with uh with blake jarvin that's good that's a great point and that's that's a really valuable thing um we learned so much after week one and you have to be churning out your back end of of your bench spots so targeting a guy where you know you're going to learn a lot after week one makes a ton of sense um because you, you want to be able to move on from these guys. It's not to say you can't draft a guy like Cam Akers um, who, you know, you, you're basically committing to hold that bench spot for a long time, but you you just simply can't have your bench be full of those guys. You do need mm-hmm. to be able to churn some of those out. Um, for my last guy here, I'll, I'll take a guy who's probably going to start the season in a somewhat limited role as well, uh, given that he's a rookie. I'm going with Rondell Moore. Um, I just wrote this article on rookie targets in best ball. And the findings were were pretty interesting. Um, I, I do hope to just uh, be able to talk about the article more in depth on one of the Monday shows. I, I think Pat has that scheduled for for mid August right now. 
Um, but uh, going just briefly, um, the, the, the general findings were that you want these rookies who have sufficient roles, but that are then going to add elite efficiency on top of that. Because mm-hmm. most rookie wide receivers, the vast, vast majority – are not going to have above average roles, even guys who are elite league winners like Justin Jefferson. He had a below average role for what you would expect for a guy drafted, drafted in the top 40 wide receivers. Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin, Juju Smith-Schuster, CD Lamb, T. Higgins, all these guys had below average roles. But what they what they added on top of that was elite efficiency on a per route basis. So with Rondale Moore, uh, I think he's going to start the year in a pretty similar role to what rookies like Marquise Brown Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore started with where he's running between like 25 and 30 routes per game. You had um, last year, you had Larry Fitzgerald running 34 routes per game. You had uh, the combination of Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson running 33 routes per game. So even with adding AJ Green to this offense, Christian Kirk probably kicks into the slot. There should still be a pretty decent role for Rondell Moore to get things started. And then over time, if he's playing at an elite level, he can earn more work. And we know AJ Green is very unlikely to be playing at an even decent level on the outside. So my vision for this is that over the course of the season, AJ Green starts to see his snaps decline and Christian Kirk starts to see more work on the outside in his place. And then Rondell Moore is slowly soaking up these slot wide receiver snaps, which are super valuable in this offense and, and which perfectly suit Rondell Moore, because Rondell Moore does have some limitations. He's only 5'7", he's 181 pounds, but he's this ball of muscle, yards after catch, freak athlete. I mean, this guy runs a 4'3", 240. He had a 42 and a half inch vertical, 6.683 cone. Like he is explosive. You want to just get the ball in his hands, operating over the middle of the field with defensive attention over on DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he can just be absolutely fantastic right out of the gate in terms of yards per route run. and he was extremely productive throughout his entire college career. He did struggle with some injuries, but true freshman breakout with a 37% dominator rating, 30% career yardage share, declared early, very efficient, had a 2.63 career yards per route run in college. So everything about this guy kind of checks all the boxes in terms of looking for these rookies who can be efficient right away. And he's in a position where he can start with a sufficient enough role to actually deliver a league winning uh, win rate, but he also has a path to get up to like 33, 34 routes per game, which is kind of an elite opportunity number for a rookie um, because of how many plays this team runs and because of how central the slot wide receiver is in their offense. The other thing I'll say about Rondell Moore is you've seen the hype on Elijah Moore already bump his ADP up. And I can't really think of a guy kind of more tailor-made for us to be blurbing about in late July than Rondale Moore. Like he's just, he's going to look awesome in training camp. I think we're going to be, people are going to be picking him up. I think if you want Rondale, Moore, really now is the time to be drafting him before things really get going uh, with training camp. 
Yeah, I don't know if sportsbooks offer this, but he would be a really good bet for next thigh pick that goes viral because the dude is just <laughs> like you said, he's just he's just completely jack. Yeah, you're, this Rondell Moore speech has me. I got to go fire up some uh, some dynasty startup because he is. Uh, yeah, I, I, you, you said everything I would say about him and more like the only limitations that we were really concerned with is that he was just used in like running back level of average depth of target. You know who loves to throw those like trashy middle of the field targets that were like. I mean, I guess it's cool that you throw the football a lot, but could you do it any deeper? Mm-hmm. Cliff, he like mm-hmm. a three yard slant. Cliff wants to marry that three yard <laughs> slant. And that is exactly what you want to do with Rondale Moore. He's built like a, a short DJ Moore and that you just want to get him the ball and let him beat defenders time in and time out. And that's exactly what Cliff's offense is designed to do. It's like not designed to be this super fun offense unless you put fun playmakers in it and rondale moore when he steps on the field will probably i mean like we said he's, he's gonna be better playmaker than aj green and almost certainly christian kirk as well there is a very real path for him to be the number two receiver in this offense by the end of the year and maybe the ramp up time is a few weeks but he doesn't cost that much and i agree the upside for him in the way that he fits with this offense is just perfect so yeah i actually gotta go fire up. I, i'm gonna head out i gotta go fire up some <laughs> yeah uh you make a good point there with with the fact that the, the offense is is pretty boring. Uh, unfortunately, there's no real reason to think that'll change dramatically uh, this year. But that's okay for a guy like Rondell Moore. You know, R- Rondell Moore is is like athletically and like and his career arc like uh, the universe's answer to um, latter day AJ Green. You know, and 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 you you it, I feel good about betting against AJ Green and betting on Rondell Moore, especially at his very modest ADP. Do you, either of you guys have that pulled up right now? I know Moore's wide receiver 63 in, in ADP 63, right now. Right. Um, you know, it, it would be, yeah, like you talked about Elijah Moore. It would be like getting Elijah Moore before all the hype, before it was yep. clear that he's the best player in, in Jets history already. And, and uh, you know, Moore is, he is going to rise. Like probably, I mean, I could, and check me if I'm wrong here, but, I could see him rising into like, I don't know, ninth round of 12 team leagues by, uh, by August. Yeah. I think so. he 100% has that. I could see him, you know, in some of these high stakes formats where they do not shy away from taking the guys they think, you know, yeah. could be the breakout guys. He could easily be in like the eighth, ninth round consistently. Sure. Um, all right. I think we will, uh, we will leave it there. The horizontal raid, by the way, is, is what we call yeah. the uh, cliff. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury offense. Uh, couldn't agree more there. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, guys, what do we have on NBC Sports Edge coming up? I have uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, team preview up on the site. Um, couldn't wait until the day it was due. It, America needed America's team uh, written up. And so I, I, I published it early. Uh, and so check that out. And I have, I believe, the the Browns one I published yesterday or maybe the day before that by the time this podcast comes out. And we'll, every like two or three days, we will have another one of those teams being fired off. So, you know, throughout the summer, one of us, I think all of us at this point will have some team up basically every other, every third day. So go ahead and check all those out. Really good nuggets in, in your guys' team previews, by the way. I, I'm uh, I'm consuming those um like like it's my job it is my job like they're mcnuggets (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of uh consuming things i have the lions preview coming out monday which i will be diving into the biting of kneecaps and the the taking chunks of flesh uh (laughs) strategy which which dan campbell swears he's employing uh and i also have this uh this rookie 
uh, two-parter that I just finished, the the part you probably care more about where I actually list out uh, recommendations for all the rookie wide receivers and, and who I think you should draft, that part came out this morning. So you can go ahead and check that out. Uh, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes uh, or wherever you're listening, and please subscribe on YouTube. Give us a little thumbs up there. Smash the like button, and uh, we will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.